0: So good to have you with us. Uh, merry, merry Christmas to you and to your family. And I don't know what Christmas means to you, whether you're a Christ follower or you just uh, uh, you know coming with us to celebrate Christmas today. We are so, so grateful and honoured to have you with us. And for so many of us, we have different memories of Christmas. Some of our memories are exhilarating and exciting, and some of our memories are difficult and hard to bear every time Christmas season comes along. I do recall distinctly when I was about 17 or 18 years of age, our family were going through a really hard time. And my dad was ministering in a particular church, and he had a, 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 here in Australia in the western suburbs, and he had a, a particular set of people who were completely against what he was standing for, they were a very influential group of people and it ended up that my dad was moved on or he moved on from Australia and him and my mom around October, November went to England to live there and I stayed behind by myself at a 17 years old or 18 years old or around that time and my my brothers and sisters had remained in Egypt uh, several years before then, when we all, uh, when my parents and I came to uh, migrate to Australia. So it was the first Christmas time, what I had to spend by myself. And uh, growing up, Christmas was a big deal—not enough for your family, but Christmas was a big deal. We all sat around the table, lots of food, and 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 um, fond memories of being together. So. That day, I didn't want to go to the church where my dad used to minister because I knew I would have to confront this group of opponents who were viciously and maliciously against my dad for several years. And so I decided to go to, uh, I was part of a Coptic Orthodox church. I decided to go to a church about two and a half hours away from home, as further away as I could from that group of people. uh, Forgiving, I know. But... uh, Uh, I went there, and uh, as soon as I walked in, I was fasting all day, really trying to get into this feeling of Christmas. And as I walked into the church, believe it or not, out of all the different churches that are around, the same group of people were in that church. Talk about God's humorous ability to make a point, right? And I I honestly could not even... uh, master the energy to communicate with them other than uh, uh, formalities of hello and and Merry Christmas and so on. After uh, the service, uh, they usually have a feast after it, even a food for those people who don't have homes. So I thought, you know, I was a legitimate candidate for the feast, uh, but because I realized them and their families all brought their food and they were about to spend the night there. Mind you, the service, unlike RC 9 to 10, it was from about 6 o'clock in the afternoon till about 11.30 at night, and you think we go for long, right? Um, And and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to take myself back home all by my little self. And as I was in the car, a driving two and a half hours, drowsier indeed, and uh, a story for another time. But I think there were so many different feelings, feelings of frustration, uh, feelings of sadness for my dad and, 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 his, and, and our family, feeling of being defeated that even, you know, uh, that, that some people were maliciously against him. They still laughing and having fun as a family and our family are broken. Uh, In terms of, of my own feelings being lonely on Christmas Day for the first time. And I don't think I articulated it in that way. But I think deep inside me, if I was to summarize my question or my feelings or my wondering, it was something like this. What does Jesus do that deserves my allegiance? What does Jesus do that deserves my allegiance? Because it seemed at the time that the more you invest in your Christianity, the more they invest in being authentic follower of Jesus, the harder life became. And I don't know about you, whether you are a Christian for a long time or just exploring this spirituality, or maybe you left church and left the faith maybe for the very same reason. Maybe you grew up in an environment where you realized long ago, because of your affiliation with unchurched people or whatever theory and philosophy were surrounding you that Jesus is so irrelevant. What does he do for my life that deserves my allegiance? Why should I be a follower of Jesus? Yesterday, our family were having a tradition of being in the city on Christmas Eve and there were tons and tons and tons of people coming in and out of the cathedral just across the road from Fed square I I've never seen it that busy maybe maybe around the time of Christmas we we rethink reevaluate the value of Jesus Christ and whoever uh, we think he is whoever we think he is but I want to propose to you today that our response to Christianity and to the claim of Jesus should not be based on what does Jesus do that deserves my allegiance but more like it who is Jesus that demands my allegiance who is Jesus that demands my allegiance because friends today I want to tell you a simple analogy a couple of analogies before we finish today and you go off and have an awesome time it's our prayer that you would bless your family and that you would be utterly blessed by your family but first of all, we want to we wanna understand as if this is a birthday uh, party in all different houses around the world. We don't go to a birthday, you know, when you receive a, a milestone birthday invitation. You don't call the birthday boy or girl and say, hey, what's on the menu and what's the program like just before I confirm whether I'm coming or not? Because you and I know that it's not about us. You and I know when there is a birthday party, it's not about you, it's not about me. Nobody cares what you wear on the wedding day because the couples are the ones that are in the front and center. Nobody cares what menu you're going to enjoy as long as the birthday boy or the birthday girl are being honored and esteemed on their day. And friends, sometimes in our birthday adventures, we find speeches of people who come and, and, and entertain us. They give, you know, they bring the dirt over those people who are, you know, in their birthday celebration, funny stories, silly things they've done. Others give speeches that engage us emotionally and we feel moved. We didn't know how sentimental this thing is and, and how awesome that particular person is in their relationship with their friends and close mates. Or sometimes a birthday speech can educate us. And knowing the close friends of Jesus, if they were around us today, they probably don't have much dirt to throw on Jesus. He was, what they're going to say, he was too perfect, you know. What what are they going to say about him? But indeed they had an intention to educate us about the identity of Jesus. And one of those guys that I've been really mesmerized by for the past several weeks Looking at the story and his speech and biography about Jesus, his name is John. And he refers to himself five times through his book, known the book of John. He refers to himself as the, as the disciple or the or the friend that Jesus loved. So there's other friends, but he's the unique one. He is so in love with Jesus. And he writes in the very introduction of his book as simple statements about Jesus to help you and I identify, not the birthday story of little kitty, little baby in a manger, but he wants you and I to admire and absolutely be astonished by the identity of this Jesus. And I don't know about you, if you've read the scripture, or if you read that particular start of of the book of John, you may find it a little difficult. You might not understand the nature of Jesus, and And that's completely understandable. I'm not going to stand here and in in 20 or so minutes try to convince you of who he really is. This is just a speech. This is just a birthday speech that helps you potentially consider the claims of Jesus over the coming months and maybe even years. And I hope you come to the same conclusion that the closest friends of Jesus were able to deduct from his life. But frankly, there is only two things that most people think about when it comes to Jesus. Is He God? Is He man? Is He God? Is He man? And, uh, and this is not just something new that is today. But if He is God, He's deserving of our worship. But if he's He is God, how could He be born in a manger? Like it doesn't make sense. God Almighty, how can He be confined in flesh? But if He is a man what on earth why are we worshiping him why are we following him why is this a significant following of jesus throughout the world and people claim him to be the christ the messiah the anointed one the god in flesh just like we heard a few minutes ago so in a little time i have i just want to scratch the surface no explanation is adequate of such incredible complex theme and and nature of Christ and if you're sitting here and you say Peter that's what all religious people say you know to get themselves out of the complexity they say it's hard to understand but let me tell you if you're a scientist would you stand up in the midst of us all and explain to us the nature of gravity would you be able to stand up here and say to us let me explain to you the nature of energy because friends who can understand the causes we understand what they achieve, but we don't necessarily understand the nature. And if that's the creative things, how much more the nature of God. So today, just in a few moments I have, I want to give you three key ideas about Jesus. Because they've been groups throughout the ages. Two groups, particularly from the second century of Christianity, that had the same problems that you and I have about the very nature of this Jesus Christ who commemorate today. The first group is the group that thought that Jesus is only divine. They thought that there couldn't be possibility that God Almighty, the creator of all things, would be able to be confined to a little baby body and live on hunger and thirst and get tired and, 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 and suffer so they thought that this divine being had the appearance of a human being so it wasn't really human it just had the appearance because god couldn't possibly suffer therefore he just had the appearance of a human being partially that's what muslims say even up till today they say jesus on the cross didn't really suffer he was replaced by another person potentially Judas, they say, who suffered, but Jesus didn't really suffer. It is hard for our finite, uh, uh, finite brains to be able to recognize how could God Almighty be in a finite uh, uh, flesh or a tent like yours and mine. But there are another group also, very early Jewish sect, that wanted to assert that Jesus was only human. He will, who was, they say he was possessed by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, much in the same way, but a bit more intense, intensely than the prophets, the prophets, the, the Hebrew prophets. So they asserted that he was human, but they also ceased to affirm the idea that he's intrinsically divine. And this gone on and was further populated by a god called Arius. Arius is predominantly the same. Some of the same ideas that are being uh, distributed today in the world around the whole concept of Jesus being a man, not being divine. And he asserted several things. He said that the Son, that's Jesus, the divine, is not of the same essence as the Father. He doesn't share the same substance as the Father. He said that the Son... Or what we would read about in a few moments is the Logos is a created being. He's not the creator, he's a created being. He said that the sun created the world, so so be it, because he can't, he can't possibly deny that as we'll see in just a moment. But he did say that there was a time when the sun, when that divine being, G- that, that inhabited the body of jesus wasn't necessarily existing he was created by the father and finally he said that the son redeemed humanity and i don't intend in any way to confuse you but i want you to, st- to just remember how many people here are fathers or mothers would you put your hand up if you're a father or a mother okay when did you be- oh yes thank you somebody's raising the other guy's hand there yeah he you forgot you're a father brother um but let me ask you something it, when did you become a father or a mother when did you become a father or a mother you've always been an adult until you had a child and i know this is not in the same conceptual uh, uh, conceiving concept of a father and a son that's not the reality but you can't be called a father until you have a son just remember that in your own mind so if if uh, aries is talking about a metaphor of the father being there but the son not being there even if it's a metaphor it's a ruined metaphor you can't call him a father unless there is a son other than that he focused on no idea that the son is a human is a is a great ranked uh a, a human uh person that has some divine uh, elements to him however he came to redeem humanity his biggest opponent from the very early time, this is not something that we're manufacturing today, his name is Athanasius and he was from Alexandria. This guy was also a priest in Egypt. And Athanasius came up with this uh, uh, concept to say that Arius' argument is incoherent. He says that no creature can redeem another creature. Can you get something that's faulty to help something else that's faulty? Can you get somebody that is helpless to help somebody else that's helpless? only God the creator can redeem and save his creatures but according to Arius Jesus is a creature he's not the creator therefore according to Arius Jesus cannot redeem humanity what he was trying to say to Arius your argument is faulty you can't say that Jesus isn't the creator isn't God but redeems because that is completely false a creature can't redeem a creature And Athanasius was predominantly attracted to the idea that was revealed in the book of uh, John, which is a biography of Jesus. And he used that to help the rest of the Christian leaders, the clergy, the bishop, in a place called Nicene. And they came up with what we call the Nicene Creed. And it says one of it says that Christ is of the same substance with the Father, he is of the same substance with the father how does that make sense how can jesus be so divine that is of the same substance as god almighty that he is one and the same as god almighty well that comes clearly from the book of john and chapter 1 and verse 14 and it tells us this that the word the word is that is something called logos it is Uh, 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 The Greek philosophers as well as the Jewish people understood what the Logos mean. It was an impersonal force, the all-knowing force that was behind the entire universe functionality. And and, and for the Logos, for the Jewish people, it was the self-revelation of God. And and here John is saying to both the audience, the Jewish and the Gentiles, those who believe in a God and those who are pagan, he's saying to them, what you believe is impersonal is actually now has a name, just like we sung a couple of minutes ago. God Almighty, God's mind expressed to us has now a completely and utterly touchable and tangible evidence. That word became flesh. And made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. The glory, that's His, atti- that, that's His attributes. Glory of the one and the only Son. Who came from the Father full of grace and truth. He's saying Jesus is fully human and fully divine. He's fully human. Jesus is uniquely God's Son in humanity. Jesus is uniquely God's Son in a human form. He is our only understanding of God. He's the only one that describes what God is like. Jesus is not just a, a, an expression of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We read that. In fact, even the ancient, in another, uh, in another council known as the Chalcedon Council, they said this about Jesus, the Council of Chalcedon, in 451, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ is known to be one and the same Son, perfect in divinity and humanity, tr- and humanity truly God and truly human, being of one substance with the Father in relation to His divinity and being of one substance with us in relation to His humanity and is like us in all things apart from sin. You say to me, Peter, how could two different natures be one? It doesn't make sense. Makes sense? Well, let me give you a very uh, silly, uh, simple example that might help you a little bit. Have you ever seen somebody put an iron in the heat for a long period of time? What happens to that iron? That iron becomes like, you can see that if you if YouTube you it, you will see the, the, the fire, the heat has completely made the iron become having some attributes of the fire. If you touch the iron, especially in that area that's been heated, you will be burnt. So it has the attributes of fire, but it still is iron, isn't it? It still has got the same material as iron. it much In a much more complex way, Jesus is both the iron and the fire. He is both fully human and fully god Friends. Please, I beg you, when you see the Christmas tree in in the houses that you're part of today, and you see little baby Jesus in the manger, realize that this baby Jesus is the creator of all things. He is fully God. He's fully human. He's not somebody that requires your sympathy. He's not somebody that deserves your allegiance. He is someone that demands your allegiance because He is God. And if you can't understand it today, you could simply ask Him if He's Truly God, why wouldn't he reveal himself to you? Because if he went to the trouble of making himself flesh so you and I can interact with him, wouldn't he reveal himself to you if you're only sincere to know? I can't persuade you. It is beyond my understanding. It's beyond your understanding. But it can be revealed and it can make sense to you. It's not illogical. And Jesus is uniquely God's son in human form. He is God's Son, divinity in humanity. But why is incarnation such a big deal? For the second reason that John says in John chapter 1 and verse 17, it says this, For the law, the benchmark, the standards of God, you know, you have traffic laws. So imagine God, He has have a law, was given through Moses, yet grace and truth came through jesus christ and here john is saying to the jewish people "You esteem moses so highly let me tell you that jesus is so much more superior because moses came to bring us a benchmark he brings us a criteria that we need to adhere to if we're going to be all right with god if we're going to have harmony with god we're going to adhere to his rules you even do that for your children at home you say my roof my rules don't you and God has got a big roof over your head and mine, and it says, my roof, my rules, because the rules are the best for you and the best for I, because He simply wants your very, very best. But those rules came to us and made us clearly in enmity with God, because when you see the rules, you realize you're transgressed, you realize that you're stuffed up, and those rules remind her that you're guilty. But Jesus came to take away the guilt. He incarnate in a human flesh so that he can take the penalty because God can't take the penalty of humanity. But in a human flesh, he can completely take the penalty on his own. But if it's only a human being taking the penalty... It will only be adequate for his finite capabilities. It will only be to save himself, even if he was sinless. But because he has also God fully, then his penalty, receiving the penalty, is infinite. It's for everybody, for all people throughout all ages. So why did Jesus bother coming on Christmas? For you and I never to feel the penalty of our own transgressions. He came to give us grace. When we are today enjoying the company of one another, remember that Jesus came to give you favor, something you did not deserve, far better than food, far better than than, than company. He came to give you eternal life. He's not interested in getting something out of you. He's here to bless you beyond measure. Jesus Jesus is uniquely God's salvation to humanity. Firstly, He's God's Son to humanity secondly his God's salvation to humanity the last thing that I want to share in John chapter 1 and verse 16 it says this out of his fullness we have all received grace we have all received grace in place of grace already given you know what that says it says that when Jesus came and took humanity He did it not merely so that you can have eternal life, but so that your life here on earth would resemble the life of God. He took what is ours in order to give us what is His. He took what is yours in order to give you what is His. He took your sin, He took my sin so He can give you His righteousness. He gave you grace over grace over grace so you can live a life that more resembles God-likeness. The intention of salvation, friends, the intention of Christmas is not so that you can exchange transaction with God. And that you become saved and live a life, freedom here on earth and there for eternity. It's far better than that. Christ came and took our nature so that we can be able to take his nature, so you can live a supernatural life, so that you can love the way he loves, so you can give the way he gives, so you can be selfless the way he was selfless, so you can bless the world in the way he blessed the world, in order that you would change people around you for the better. He's not here so that you could just get a ticket to heaven and express a ticket to heaven. He's here so you can live a life that is beyond your ability to live. And Sanasius so again from the early century says this God became human in order that for humanity to become divine through him you can live a life above your natural capability You don't have to be tied to traps and sin. You don't have to be tied to temptations and defeat. You don't have to suffer the consequences of your own limitation. You can live a life just like the Son of God came here and took on humanity. The Son of Man, you and I, can become divine in the abilities through Jesus, which He supplies by His grace. Friends, today, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is not a baby in a manger. Jesus Christ is the incarnate God, fully God, fully human. He deserves and demands your allegiance because he doesn't need you. You and I desperately need him. And imagine if today is the day. Imagine if today is the day where you say, I am going to begin to think differently about this Jesus because I haven't given him enough attention. But if he is who he is, I want to know it now. Not in the future when it's too late, when you're confronted with the Creator. Maybe, just maybe, if there is 2%, a chance that He is God Almighty and one day, like all of us, will die. You don't want to see Him face to face and say, I really thought you were a little baby in a manger. Because you never call the phone to the birthday boy and say, what's the menu for today so I can confirm my attendance. You go because you know Who do you really is? And today, would you celebrate the birthday of the incarnate God? Not because of what he gives you, but because of who he is. That's my prayer for you. Let's be upstanding and finish off our celebration with one last song.